Can the book of Genesis be trusted, even on matters of science? Is the Genesis record myth, allegory, or a genuine historical account of man's origins in early earth history? Welcome to this broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation from the Institute for Creation Research. This month we are pleased to air three special broadcasts featuring the teaching ministry of ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris. Today we hear part one of The Book of Beginnings, a fascinating introduction to the Genesis record. If I counted correctly, there are 1,531 verses in Genesis. It's not going to be a verse-by-verse study, I can assure you that. But now if you want a verse-by-verse study, then you can get the book, the Genesis record, because uh, we do have pretty well all the verses treated in that. But right now, we're going to be dealing with some of the high points in the book of Genesis as it relates to the rest of the Bible, to modern thinking, modern science, and also to our personal lives. The book of Genesis is the foundation of the scriptures. That's why God put it first in the Bible. And maybe you don't realize how important it is that we have an understanding of the Old Testament before we can really comprehend the New Testament. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, which are the most controversial chapters, those are the ones that many people would say are just old myths and legends. Those are the chapters that deal with creation and the flood and the Tower of Babel and those things. They would say, well, those are not real events. Those are just sort of stories, fables. But as a matter of fact, a hundred of those references in the New Testament are from the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Matter of fact, he even referred in one passage to the, to the fact that the earth was created recently. You know, the common idea today is that the earth is 4.6 billion years old. Now, it hasn't been that old all the time. <laughs> when I was going to school, it was only 2 billion years old. But now it's 4.6. But as a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus in, in Mark 10:6 says that from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and so on. That's in Mark 10:6. Not from 4.6 billion years after the beginning of the creation, but right from the creation itself, God had made Adam and Eve. In other words, the earth is only six days older than man is what, what it really is. But so uh, the idea that, that many modern people have that the earth is billions of years old is simply not accepted by Jesus Christ and is not taught in the scripture. There's not any reference anywhere in all the word of God that implies anything more than a few thousand years of earth history. And as a matter of fact, all, all the real history we have, not only in the Bible, but anywhere else. The uh, importance of the book of Genesis, I think, was indicated by the Lord Jesus himself when after his resurrection, as you may recall, he was walking on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples, and they were confused about what was happening, and he said, well, you ought to have understood what was happening. Then he said, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So that first great Bible study that was led by the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection began with Moses and the prophets, that means he began with Genesis. And so if he thinks it's important to begin our Bible study with Genesis, then I think that's good for us to do that too. He said another place, that was in, uh, in Luke 24, in, in John 5, he says, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, but if you, if you do not receive Moses' words, then how can you believe my words? He believed that it was important to believe what God had said through Moses in Genesis in order for us to believe what he said in his incarnation here on the earth. And then there's a tremendously important passage in the writings of the Apostle Peter. The last chapter, in fact, that Peter wrote, Second Peter chapter 3, he said that in the last days are going to come scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. In other words, the principle of uniformity or naturalism or all things continuing by their natural processes 
since the very beginning of the creation, so that even creation was no different from what's taking place now, that's the idea of evolution. He says, they're going to be saying that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the, uh, of the creation, but says this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So he tells us there in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, that the real answer to the evolutionary, uniformitarian, humanistic worldview of the last days in which people will be scoffing at Christ and Christianity and the Word of God is to refer them back to the tremendous overwhelming evidence for special creation, the heavens and the earth, which were of old, were not by natural processes, but by the Word of God. God spoke and it was done, says in Psalm 33. And then the great flood, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So these two great events in history, special creation and the worldwide flood, put the lie to the idea that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. The creation was utterly different, the flood was utterly different. And to really understand earth history, we have to give full, un full credence and understanding to those two great events of history if we're going to understand what's happening in the world today, especially as we look for the coming of Christ. They will say there was no real beginning, so there's no real worry to, of the end. So where's the promise of his coming? And if evolution is true and the earth is billions of years old, there's really no reason to believe that Christ is going to come because he didn't know what he was talking about. The history of the Bible is all wrong, and we're left without hope of all men, as Paul says, we're most miserable. Well, who wrote the book of Genesis? We've mentioned Moses. And it was the uniform belief of the Jews of the day, time of Christ that Moses was the writer of Genesis, as well as of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, five books of the first five books of the Old Testament. And it's interesting to note that Moses is cited when these verses are quoted from the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Oftentimes Moses is cited as the author of those. Some 40 times, in fact, Moses said so-and-so. We read in the New Testament. Fifteen times of those are by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But nowhere out of all the 200 references to Genesis in the New Testament does it say that Moses wrote the quotation from Genesis. That's kind of interesting. And you know, this sort of relates in a way to the liberal theory of the origin of the Pentateuch. Uh, you have, I don't know whether you took a course in religion in college or been to a seminary, one of the mainline seminaries, practically all of these for over 100 years have taught that the book of Genesis in particular was not written by Moses at all, but was written by a group of different, different groups of people long after Moses. They call it the J-E-D-P hypothesis. J means Jehovah, E means Elohim, uh, D means Deuteronomist, and P means priestly. And the idea is that there were four different groups from time to time who took the old traditions of the Jewish people and organized them together in such a way as to look like they were history when they really weren't. They said Moses could not have written Genesis because back in his early day they didn't know how to write. That's based on the idea of evolution, of course. This was originated back in the early 19th century. But evolutionary ideas were coming into vogue, especially in England and in Western Europe where the idea of great progress was in, in, in vogue. And so they thought that man had developed out of an ape-like ancestry, gradually through the Stone Age, and finally into the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, and eventually he learned how to write. But this was after Moses' time, so Moses could not have written Genesis. Well, of course, that's all wrong. <laughs> not only could Moses write, but Abraham could write, Adam could write. Matter of fact, you know, they found, the archaeologists many years ago now found a in excavating the 
ancient city Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham had his boyhood home, if you remember. Abraham was an ancestor of Moses. They found a great library, all kinds of stone clay tablets with all sorts of writings on them. As a matter of fact, they found some uh, written apparently by businessmen, their, their account books, and they found some written by housewives, their grocery lifts, and, and everyone could write back long before Moses. So Moses certainly knew how to write. And the idea that, that it could not have been written until later than, than Moses is completely wrong. And yet we still find that being taught in lots of colleges, and liberals generally will teach something like that. And the basis for that, originally that there were four different groups, was because there were different names for God. There was a French infidel physician by the name of Jean Ostruc back in the late 18th century that noticed that the name for God in Genesis 1 was different from that in Genesis 2. And so he said, well, those two must have been written by two different men. So in Genesis 1, it was Elohim. So that was the origin of the Eloist document. Genesis 2 is Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God. And so that was the origination of the Jehovah's document. And then later, other redactors added the priestly document and the Deuteronomist document. And so they tried to pick and choose among the different, uh, not only Genesis, but the books of the Pentateuch, and later the book of Joshua and others, uh, try to find somebody that could account for them naturalistically, apart from the supernatural inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Moses and the other writers of the Bible. Well, there is a little something to that in the, in the sense that there are different names for God in Genesis 1 and 2, so there's some kind of a difference there. But as a matter of fact, what we really find, if you look at it closely, is a marvelous insight into the very structure of Genesis. Remember that Moses was not living when Genesis was written. He was written, living when Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, so he was an eyewitness of those events, but not of Genesis. All of those events took place before Moses was born. So either he would have had to have received that by direct dictation from God, but there's no indication of that in Genesis. There is in Leviticus. Frequently it says there, the word of the Lord came to me saying, quote, God did dictate a, a lot of Leviticus to Moses and some of the other things, the Ten Commandments. God wrote with his own finger on the table of stone in Exodus. But in Genesis, there's nothing like that. This is written as real history, just like the book of Acts, the book of Kings, and so forth. So it wasn't given by direct dictation. Others have said, more conservative theologians have said through the years, he got it by oral tradition, handed down by word of mouth. But you see, that was again on the assumption that Moses himself couldn't write. But he could write. And so could the ones before him. So if Moses was going to get ancient records, certainly he would have taken written records and compiled them. And so in one, in one very real sense, Moses, the, the book of Genesis is one of the books of Moses, but he was not the author of it. He was the editor and compiler. He added his own editorial notes where it was necessary. So it was one of the books of Moses, but it was originally written by men before Moses. And we have the key to that in the very name of the book of Genesis. That name Genesis occurs in that form in the Greek New Testament one place. That's in the very first verse. It says, it says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Generation is Genesis in the Greek. Spelled just like we would spell it except with Greek letters. And it ties back into that same sort of phrase in the book of Genesis which occurs some ten times where it speaks of the generations. For example, Genesis 5.1 says this is the book of the generations of Adam. And then Genesis 6, 8 says, these are the generations of Noah. And then later it talks about the generations of the sons of Noah, and then the generations of Shem, and then the generations of Terah, and the generations of uh, Isaac, and of Jacob, and so on. Some ten times that phrase is used, these are the generations of so-and-so. 
Now, what that is telling us is that, that the names attached to those phrases denote the author, the material that preceded it. For example, in Genesis 5.1, where Adam said, uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam, I think that he wrote that down himself. He had been familiar with what took place in the Garden of Eden. He was there with the coming of the, of the serpent, with the death of Abel and the isolation and the uh, work of Cain and so forth. And finally in Genesis 5, 1, he, he, he signed it, he finished what he had written, he says, this is the book of the generation of Adam. And it's kind of interesting to compare that with Matthew 1, 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the Old Testament, in a very real sense, is the book of the generations of Adam, the first man. New Testament, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the second man, the Lord from heaven. Thanks for listening to this broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation. I'm Lawrence Ford, executive producer at the Institute for Creation Research. Now celebrating our 40th year in ministry, ICR remains steadfast in communicating the wonders of God's creation with an unwavering commitment to the authority and accuracy of the Bible. But we need to hear from you to keep this vital ministry on the air. Give me a call at 800-337-0375 and let me know that you'd like ICR to keep airing Science, Scripture, and Salvation. Your donation will help ensure that this vital teaching ministry continues each week. In appreciation for your gift, I want to send you the book Exploring the Evidence for Creation by Dr. Henry Morse III. Call 800-337-0375 and mention the Exploring the Evidence radio offer along with the call letters of this station. Or write me at ICR Radio, Box 59029, Dallas, Texas 75229. That's ICR Radio, Box 59029, Dallas, Texas 75229. To learn more about the ministry of ICR, visit icr.org. And thanks again for listening to Science, Scripture, and Salvation.